You're listening to an On The Move Media Co. production. I am a big proponent of doing audits, anything related to your health. So this could be a thought audit, checking in on my thoughts that I'm saying to myself, a physical body audit, right? Where am I quite literally feeling something in my body? Or just doing something where you take, let's pick a couple of different buckets where people maybe are, they're they're most problematic. So we'll talk about stress, immunity, and maybe digestion. These are like three buckets I hear a lot about. People are always having stomach issues, they're always getting sick, and they're always stressed out, right? So what I would do is make, and I would list out on a piece of paper and call it my health audit. Almost like when you have to do a check-in with your uh, company or a boss, you know, and you have your review, your 90-day review. You could, this is a great time at the end of the year to do a yearly health audit slash review. And you can actually go ahead and list out those different main buckets and say to yourself, okay, in immunity or in stress or, you know, in digestion to our stress conversation saying, okay, how do I even define stress? What does stress mean to me? What are my triggers? What actually stresses me out? What are my coping mechanisms? How am I actively participating in allowing things? That's a big part of the conversation too, is actually taking responsibility for things as well. People talk like for digestion, for example, you know, they'll spend all this money on probiotics, but their, you know, diet isn't where it needs to be. So you can't, again, you have to go back to the basic boring foundational stuff. I know that's not super sexy and people don't love to hear it. And then you can go a little bit deeper and say, okay, so when we're talking about stress, what are some of my symptoms, quote, that I feel? When I'm stressed, I, for some people, they lose their appetite. For some people, they are ravenous. For some people, their face breaks out. For some people, they get really tired, right? So writing out what are my main problems, and then you can kind of do a little line and saying, okay, so my problem is when I'm stressed out, I uh, don't sleep. And then you could say, well, what am I doing to deal with that right now? And you, if you have nothing there, if you don't have any application or anything to take away, then you can start there. That was Dr. Brianna Diorio. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I am your host, Marnie Salop. I am super excited to connect you with today's guest, Dr. Brianna Diorio. Brianna is our first guest of 2024, and I am certain she's going to inspire you to get your health in order in the new year. Brianna is a wealth of information and a top expert on alternative and integrative medicine, incorporating mental, emotional health into the mix, functional medicine, dietary supplements, and herbs. She is Nutrafol's Director of Product Education and host and creator of the Brianna Approved Podcast. Brianna has had a private practice and has been in the nutraceutical industry for over a decade. She has a PhD in integrative medicine, is a clinical nutritionist, a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, an herbal practitioner, a family herbalist, an NASM certified personal trainer, and a holistic lifestyle coach. During our conversation, Brianna talks about hair health and the root causes of hair loss and thinning. 
Nutrafol products and key ingredients, ingestibles versus topicals, and her foray into working with the renowned hair wellness company, Nutrafol. We had the co-founders, Giorgio Setis and Sophia Kogan on the podcast back in 2019 on episode 79, just a few years after the brand launched. Brianna is bringing us up to speed. We also do a deeper dive into stress, a variety of herbal ways to manage it and understanding your key stressors and responses. Brianna shares her must-have go-to herbs that she uses for everyday health and wellness, including nervines and kava, passionflower, bitters, and more. We also chat about cycling adaptogens in and out of your routine, the importance of listening to your body, some health non-negotiables, and her awesome health audits, which you are definitely going to want to do after listening to this conversation. Of course, I get her go-to fitness routine, and we talk a little bit about her favorite sport, the things that fuel her for success when she's not practicing health and wellness. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. Head over to the Marnie on the Move podcast, click on the podcast, scroll through the episodes, click on the five stars, and then the tiny words that say leave a review. Click there and tell us what you love about this podcast. Also, share this episode on your social channels. Tag Marnie Salop, Marnie on the Move, Brianna Diorio, that's B-R-I-A-N-N-A-D-I-O-R-I-O on Instagram, tag us on TikTok, go on LinkedIn, wherever you like to get social, take a screenshot, post something about the episode, let us know what you love. Now on to my conversation with Dr. Brianna Diorio. Brianna, it is so awesome to meet you. Thank you for being on the podcast. I'm excited. You've had an amazing litany of guests, so I feel honored to be included in the conversation. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You have an extensive background in alternative health, nutraceuticals. You have a PhD in integrative medicine. You're a clinical nutritionist, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. Like you are deep dive into all kinds of like functional treatments, uh, alternative treatments, and just the world of health and wellness and nutrition. So I'm sure there's gonna be a lot to talk about. How did you get there? Like what led you down that path? Absolutely, that's a great question. I love understanding people's history of how they got to where they they were. I took a little bit of a backwards path. I originally went to school to be a Spanish teacher. So on some level, I always knew I wanted to teach and educate. My mom is a, was a history teacher for you know 34 years and I was always very into sports, you know, growing up, I was always very healthy, all of that. So I was always, you know, knowledgeable about nutrition and training. And my dad was really into it too. And I was a personal trainer when I was an undergraduate. And I, at the time, had a boss who was very ahead of his time, who turned me on to some other functional practitioners, the Paul Checks, the Mark Hyman's, you know, of, of the Mercola's of the time. And I just really always loved the science. So I decided to go to graduate school and I went to University of Bridgeport and got my master's of nutrition there. And then it kind of just snowballed. If you're a lifelong learner, I think, you know, you get this insatiable, you know, desire to just want to learn more. And I think that's one of the founding principles of functional medicine is getting to the root cause, getting to the why. And so you see all, there's all these different modalities. So I, you know, became an herbalist. I, you know, became a FDN, as you said. So that was really cool for looking at functional testing. 
Uh, you know, I did some other things and then, it, you know, got my PhD, which is kind of the pinnacle where yes. you're like, all right, I want to keep learning. So, and then, you know, you're, you're learning every day. And so that's why I just love this field and this industry in general, because there's something new to research every day and you can have 30 tabs open on PubMed at any time and, right. you know, drink, drink your coffee and learn something new or listen to an amazing podcast like yours. And that's sort of, you know, how I took my roundabout way of, of getting to, you know, this part of my journey. What of all of those things are you doing on a day-to-day basis? So my day-to-day, I'm the director of education at Nutrafol. So I uh, oversee the education for all new and existing products as well as science. So that's my kind of day in, day out. Uh, on top of that, I also am just kind of always in research mode. So I've had my own private practice for over a decade and my own podcast and things like that. So I've done, you know, different consulting roles and helping people educate, especially now in the world that we're living in where people are going to social media first. I'm a real stickler on making sure that we're saying things that are safe and efficacious and claim substantiation and all of that. That's been drilled into my head very young in my career. I was fortunate enough to work at Vitamin Shop headquarters uh, very early on. And uh, Brian Tanzer was in charge of regulatory. He was one of my mentors, still is. He really took me under his wing and taught me a lot about that. And so every day I am researching, I'm educating, I'm making sure that we are saying things that are actually, again, legal and compliant, and then just helping to kind of take really these complex topics and break it down into something that's more digestible and actionable too, right? Because knowledge is one part of it. It's how we apply the knowledge that is also important. How did you connect with Nutrafol and how have the products evolved over the years? That's a great question. I have been in the nutraceutical industry for over a decade. And I, to my point earlier, I was always in sort of an education role. I was, you know, the director of training and education for a private label company. I was a global educator for another private label company, head of content at Vitamin Shop. So I was kind of always in these education positions. And I was usually kind of on the backside of things. Working in private label was really great because I learned a lot about the manufacturing side of things, raw material, formulations. That was amazing. Uh, And then, you know, working with a bunch of different brands on, you know, the HQ side of things was cool, but still didn't really feel dialed in enough. And so the Nutrafol position was open and I just loved it because it was all the things that I loved doing and was doing on a regular basis. So it was still being able to work on that education piece, but also working as a liaison because Nutrafol has a lot of really amazing different teams and departments. It's really a great team group atmosphere. So I get to work with, you know, our clinical team and, you know, I get to work with regulatory and I also get to work with brand and marketing and product development. And so I get to take all these different bits of knowledge and information and sort of, you know, number one, take it and again, make it into something that, okay, this is really cool and scientific and mechanism of action. And that's awesome. But maybe the average consumer doesn't necessarily need to know that, or they might not necessarily care, or it might go over their head. So a big part of what I do is taking that and kind of distilling it down. And then a big part of it as well is also being involved in those conversations from inception of, you know, formulation and products that, you know, ingredients that we're thinking about using to how that comes to fruition. And so, you know, Nutrafol, when they originally started, really just had two main SKUs. We had a, a men and a, a women's formula. Right. And as science evolves, right, innovation has to evolve and research has to evolve. And Nutrafol has really been a great partner 
uh, in that innovation space. So, you know, now we have not only a whole topical line, but we also have additional SKUs to meet you where you are, depending on your life stage and your lifestyle, right? Because when it comes to our health, it's always evolving, which means our nutrient needs are going to evolve. And so we have, you know, now a formula that's a vegan formula, which is amazing for if you're following a plant-based diet or if you're, you know, I call it being a plant-based curious. We have a postpartum formula. We also have a women's balance formula, which is great for that journey of, you know, perimenopause and postmenopause. And then we still have our men's and our women's. So again, really evolving as the science evolves, but also as our health needs evolve as well. So, and Nutrafol is a nutraceutical company that caters to men and women who are looking to improve the health of their hair. Yes, we definitely focus on, again, the hair wellness conversation. Yes, hair we wellness. speak to hair thinning because hair loss is considered a disease state. So any supplement company in general should not be making claims like that to speak to disease. But yes, hair thinning uh, for men and women again. Uh, and what's really interesting about Nutrafol is that we were pioneers in the sense of moving the needle forward and changing the conversation around what was sort of standard practice and standard care. So really taking a look at what were those root causes, those biospecific root causes that are impacting hair thinning at any given, again, life stage or lifestyle. And so, you know, that's where we actually got to run different, you know, clinical studies and actually, you know, prove what we were saying about that then went into the dermatological field. And this is something that's being used in practice. And then we also have it consumer facing as well. So it's really, you know, casting a broad net for people being able to do something that is tangible and within their control. So what are some of the root causes of hair thinning and hair loss? Yeah. So we have kind of broken it down into six main root causes when we're talking about uh, hair thinning in kind of the neutrophil ecosystem. So we talk about, you know, stress, nutrition, metabolism, hormones, aging, and lifestyle. Those are kind of our six root causes. And root causes, yes, are one really important part of the conversation. But I think an important part of the narrative as well is, again, those can change during, again, your life stage or your lifestyle. And I say that because think about it. I always joke when I was 18, it was probably my hair was the most amazing it ever looked. And it was probably the least amount of attention I ever paid to it. I was straightening it every day. I wasn't hydrating the way I needed to sleep. Right. But as you get older, we can see that some of these different root causes almost take a different pole position, if you will. So maybe when you are postpartum, your hormones are going to take a bit more of a hit, right? And your stress is going to look different than maybe when you're just in your kind of 18 to 44, which is sort of who we formulate for our women's. Or again, if you're a specific lifestyle, if you're somebody who is following a plant-based diet, perhaps you might have nutrient gaps and things like, you know, vitamin B12 and vitamin K and vitamin D. So we want to really make sure that we're addressing all of those as again, our body changes as our needs change. Right. So Nutrafol products have a lot of alternative herbal ingredients, like also adaptogens. So what ratio of those kind of ingredients, right, do you have and why are they more helpful than maybe some of the chemical ingredients that, you know, we've heard about on Huberman Labs podcast? And, you know, what are some of the things, the advantages, I guess, to to using those kind of products and how do they really, like, what are some of the products that people should be thinking about adding to their supplement routine 
in addition to Nutrafol. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, when we're talking about supplements in general, whether yeah. it's for you know immune health or hair health or heart health, whatever it is, right? We always want to keep a couple of things in mind. We want to think about efficacy, so how well something works, right? right? Which is that's not actually always proven, which is why clinical testing is really important. And that's not something that is required of the FDA, which is something that we do on all of our final formulations, right? right. So all supplements are not created equal. Right. Uh, but safety is also, right, a big part of the conversation, which is kind of, you know, what uh, we want to make sure that what we're putting in our body is safe, the right amounts, right? But also the kinds of ingredients that we use. I kind of joke and always say you're only as good as your lab, right? Or as your starting ingredient. So I'm from New Jersey, right? We're the garden state, believe it or not. Right. And you have a tomato in New Jersey in the summer, right? It's amazing. It's one of the best things you've ever tasted. If you have a New Jersey, if you have a tomato in December, they're both tomatoes. They both have vitamin C and lycopene, but there's going to be a difference in the quality of those. So the quality right. of the ingredients that you use is also important and how we're testing to make sure that that happens as well. So those all have to be kind of before you're even picking what supplement do I need? What product do I want? Right. That's all going to be important as well. And making sure that the company that you're choosing to buy from is doing those quality checks across the way. And again, something like having clinical testing is important. Right. And also if you're actually taking that clinical testing and putting it into publications, so peer-reviewed publications and things like that are going to help to ensure academic and scientific credibility, that also helps to ensure that it's a, another level of assurance that you can have from a consumer point when you're spending your money and ingesting something into your body. And so when we talk about ingesting something into your body, what is the difference between, you know, you mentioned that you also have topicals now. So talk to me about the benefits of topicals versus ingestibles and how they kind of work together. Yes. So with anything regarding supplements, right, supplements are always going to supplement an already healthy lifestyle. And so topicals are kind of like the icing on the hair cake, if you right. will. You can only put a deep conditioning mask on for so long until if the root cause isn't being addressed or those right. multiple root causes. And the way that we approach a lot of our science and our formulations is we talk about this idea of hair biology, which is looking at the your hair follicle, which is sort of this like manufacturing plant, if you will, of how we are actually creating new hair and looking out all these interconnected systems that can impact how the hair follicle is functioning or dysfunctioning, right? Because it's a, a mini organ in the body. And right. so we want to make sure that when we're taking something like supplements or a nutraceutical, that's addressing those internal foundational stuff first. It's a lot like building a house. You can go ahead and buy granite countertops and a gold plated toilet, but if you don't have a foundation and the blueprint right. isn't good and the architect hasn't approved that's not going to do you a whole lot of good. It can help and it could make it the appearances look nice, but we have to make sure the foundation is great. So that's why choosing ingredients, choosing products that again are going to address and multi-target those root causes that we talked about, stress, nutrition, hormones, metabolism, lifestyle, aging. Right. We want to make sure that again, we're taking that multifactorial approach. And then you can go ahead and use those topicals to support, you know, in, in regards to the hair health conversation that you have a, you know, a healthy scalp microbiome and you have, you know, a good ecosystem for the, the hair to, to grow and fostering that positive environment. So what are some of the key ingredients that you use in your products at Nutrafol? Maybe start with the ingestibles and why are they super important? That's a great question. I love learning about all of our ingredients. So we have a couple ingredients that we use. We actually have something called our Synergen Complex, and we have a couple different versions of our Synergen Complex. In here, you'll see sort of a combination of 
several key ingredients. Number one, we have ashwagandha. So this has, I think, been really popular over the past few years as an adaptogen, right? We're using that, again, to actually target and balance that stress response. And again, stress can also have a secondary impact in the other systems in the body. It can kind of knock the domino over for direct and indirect things. So if we have that stress bucket being super full or that's getting out of balance, that can then indirectly impact things like our hormones and our immune system and other things that, believe it or not, play a role in our hair health, right? So ashwagandha is a big ingredient that we have in there. Since you have this like sports and fitness background, when you say stress, right? Like Mm -hmm. I have a lot of athlete listeners and we are constantly Mm -hmm. putting our bodies in states of stress. So is this stress the same stress that you get from say, just being stressed mentally? Like, do you feel like those two things are similar and do they affect the hair the hair thinning similarly? Totally off one the my, cusp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, one of my favorite questions, one of my favorite topics, because I often joke and say that stress has gotten a really bad PR campaign over the past few years because yeah. uh, all stress is not bad. We do need some stress, right? right? We have eustress and distress. It is important on some level. However, stress is any internal or external trigger that's going to disrupt homeostasis in the body, right? So stress can be perceived, things in our mind. We're stressing about stress. We're worried. We're sitting in traffic. Uh, It can also be real stressors. We have biochemical stressors. We have environmental stressors. And so what I tell people when it comes to the stress conversation is the dose makes the poison. A little bit of stress, right? Again, depending on how everything else is balanced or imbalanced in the body, maybe isn't going to move the needle too far, but it can have a cumulative effect. So in the hair health conversation, it's going to be a bit more cumulative over time, right? right? And if you've had maybe, or if you've had an all of a sudden something that was just incredulous with your stress. You went through a divorce. You could have been getting married. You could have a baby. You could be going through a breakup. So all of these things. So the amount, the duration of stress, right? And the frequency of it. And then what are you doing to support the stress response or what I call emptying out the stress bucket? So that's why using ingredients or certain nutraceuticals or adaptogens or what have you, as well as lifestyle things, sleeping and the basic boring stuff, all of that kind of helps to modulate the stress response. We're not trying to evade and get rid of it totally. We want to support the stress response and we want to modulate it. Okay, back to neutrophil ingredients. So ashwagandha. Ashwagandha is one of our uh, all-star players for when we're targeting, again, that stress response. Another one that people talk a lot about in the hair health conversation is hormones. So we are using saw palmetto, which is really important because that can actually help to reduce the conversion of testosterone to DHT. And DHT is kind of that bully version of testosterone, right? Which is what can cause the hair follicle to shrink. And then that can lead to more thinning. So we do have our saw palmetto in there. We also use things like our tocotrienol complex. So vitamin E and curcumin, which are going to be really important for providing antioxidant support. And antioxidants, again, are important because those help to balance out that free radical damage. Some of those reactive oxygen species, they can also help to recycle other antioxidants in the body. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that we have that in there. And then we have some supportive ingredients too, like some of your, you know, amino acids, like our cysteine and our methionine. We have things like vitamin C, which act as a, you know, a cofactor for collagen. We also have marine collagen peptides, zinc, hyaluronic acid. And then depending on the formula, we have 
some different ingredients that maybe aren't the same, like in our, you know, vegan formula, we have something called Moldavian dragon head, which is amazing because that actually helps to promote collagen production naturally within the body. In our postpartum, we have things like Shatavari that can be a great adaptogen for supporting that emotional mental stress response. So again, just kind of depends on what formula that you're using. The ingredients can be a little bit different. Okay. So what's Moldavian dragon head? Because it sounds really cool. Oh my God. It's a really, I didn't know about this botanical and I live and breathe and study herbs. So Moldavian dragon head is great. It's a botanical. It's quite beautiful. It's this purple little, you know, plant. And it has been shown to, again, support collagen production naturally in the body. It actually works on some of our longevity pathways like FOXO1. Okay. So it can help to act as an AMPK activator as well. And again, working on some of those, believe it or not, hair genes in the body. So it kind of is more of a cell signaling molecule of saying, hey, go and actually promote collagen production as opposed to just taking something like collagen, which does work. And there's, you know, research, there's a lot of conversation back and forth about it. But I'm always personally a big fan of giving the building blocks of something right. to the body to use, right? Uh, and so Moldavian Dragonhead is in our vegan formula. And it's just so cool. It's, I've never seen it in anything else. So speaking of herbs, what are some other herbs that you're using, you personally, not related to Nutrafol that yeah. you just love because you have such a prolific background in this topic. And I know it's like a very broad question, but I'm always looking for ideas of things to take. So yeah, so what are some of the herbs that are your favorites that are go-tos that you like to use? Absolutely. So I am a big fan of nervines in general. I know a lot of people talk about adaptogens, which are great, and there's different categories of adaptogens. Same thing with nervines. There's stimulating nervines, there's calming nervines. And so what nervines do is they work on the nervous system, right? So when people say, I'm quite literally going to have like a nervous breakdown or this person's getting on my nerves. We mm -hmm. can feel that on a physiological sense. So nervines are cool in the sense is that they can help to balance and regulate things out and they're tonic in nature, meaning that you can take them long-term depending on what you need. So a couple of my favorite nervines is something like lemon balm. It's known as the gladdening herb. I love it this time of the year as well because not only does it help to have mood supporting properties, it can also have antiviral properties. So really good for the immune system, especially if you're the kind of person that when you get stressed out, your immune system takes a hit. So lemon okay. balm is definitely one of my favorite tinctures. I'm also a big kava girl. So kava is really great. It's kind of, you know, they have it has really great uh, ties in Hawaiian culture and Polynesian culture. It's used as a ceremonial drink. People use it to get off of things like benzodiazepines and alcohol. And kava can be very relaxing to the nervous system, not sedative in the sense of something like valerian root, perhaps, okay. where people can really feel like they're going to be knocked out. Kava kind of helps just bring you back to your senses. So if you're sort of somebody who's potentially running on adrenaline all day and you think you're so tired because you don't have enough energy, there's a good chance that you need to just be back at sort of an idling speed, not going at 90 miles an hour. So kava can be very good for that, for kind of taking the edge off, having some of those anxiolytic properties, but still allowing you to work throughout, you know, the day. Okay. So I would say kava is the one. And then passion flower is another fan favorite of mine. I work with a lot of people who are very type A, overachiever, overthinker, overdoers. And so what's cool like, about- I'm Earth, like ordering all these things when we get yeah, off the podcast. No, we could, we, I'll send you some links for sure for some okay. of my favorites, but- yeah. What's cool about some herbs is that they look like what they do. If you look at a hawthorn berry, it kind of looks like a little heart, right? It's got great yeah. cardiovascular benefits. We love that. 
Passion flower is this really beautiful purple flower and it's got these little wound up tendrils on the inside. So if you're somebody who's very wound up in your head, you have circular ruminating thoughts, you're very uh, cerebral by nature, very prefrontal cortex oriented, right? Passion flower can be very good for helping to calm that down. So if you're very wound up, very overthinking mm-hmm. type A, and it can also be used kind of a little bit before bedtime as well. So if that's the reason you're not falling asleep, it's because you're just stuck in your mind. Passion flower can kind of relax that. Again, where something maybe like a California poppy or like I said, a valerian might be a little bit more of a heavy hitter. So those are probably uh, my my top three around this time when people are maybe a little bit stressed out or maybe they're overthinking. And then always, I'm always a proponent of digestive bitters. Uh, We don't get enough bitters in the diet and really amazing. We have bitter receptors all over the body, but really great for, you know, lymphatic support, detoxification, liver as well. One of my favorite organs. So those are kind of some of my must haves. Apple cider vinegar. Is that a bitter or is it just, it kind of has a similar property? I wouldn't put that in the bitter category because the mechanism of action for bitters is they actually help because of the bitter taste. In mm-hmm. er, in in herbalism, herbal energetics and taste profile is really important. So if something is bitter, it can actually send a message to something like the hypothalamus or a part of the brain that deals with appetite regulation and all of that. Okay. And it tells us to actually start salivating more. So when we have saliva, that's the very first important step of digestion. Right. So, um, and we don't really get enough of them in the diet. Again, and coffee consumption, believe it or not, is actually the number one source of bitters. But most people are not consuming a typical black organic coffee that's bitter in nature. They're adding right. sugar or milk, and which is fine. But again, if we want to use it in a more therapeutic manner, the digestive bitters are great. You can get it as a spray, uh, as a tincture. It's a great stocking stuffer this time of the year. So. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. And are you also, so you mentioned adaptogens. I mean, are you also taking adaptogens in different cycles throughout the year? I love that you said cycles because I'm a big, big, big proponent of cycling anything that you're taking. I think it's really important to understand your body and what your body needs more of. People Mm -hmm. ask me all the time. They're like, you must take so many supplements. And I'm like, I really don't. I said, I'm really good at listening to my body for what I need. There's some core things that, again, your vitamin Ds, your omegas, your CoQ10s, things that are just really hard to get from the diet. Most people are generally going to have lower levels of. So those are my non-negotiables, right? I have those in my health non-negotiables and then my long-term committed relationship. And then you have more of what I call your flings, right? So things depending on what I need in the moment and need more of, or what I need to give more love to. Right. So for a very long time, when I was in graduate school, I was very stressed out, obviously, uh, was kind of getting sick a lot. I had sort of a propensity for that. That's the kind of person I am. That's the kind of stressor I am. So I was taking things like Eleuthero. I was taking things like Rhodiola. It's really great, again, for cognitive benefits. Ashwagandha a little bit in the beginning, but Ashwagandha for some people at a certain time can start to almost have the opposite effect. Uh, so I, I wasn't on that for too long. So those are, I think, some of my favorites. And I think... Yeah, those are probably my, I would say rhodiola is a number one and, and you lose I'm a big ginseng girl. Yeah. Do you also look at your blood in terms of like what your levels are before you start taking supplements and after and balancing them? Or do you just like kind of have a feeling? Great question. Cause I get this question a lot as well, both. So I feel like I'm in a certain 
level of my health where right. I, you're in, I always tell people you're, you're your best clinical trial, right? You're yeah. in the most long-term committed relationship with your health than anybody ever is more than a piece of paper can tell you more than a doctor can tell you. So, but it does, it is an art learning how to listen to your body and listening to what it needs, what it likes, what it doesn't like. Right. So I've done enough experimenting over the years to be like, Oh, we don't like when we do this or when I don't get enough sleep, I act this way or my body looks this way or whatever it is. Right. So I'll do your standard, you know, full lipid panel once a year kind of thing. And, right. But I'm also making sure that I'm getting additional markers that usually aren't included. So things like your homocysteine, your C-reactive protein, things that are, are I'm really big on understanding systemic inflammation. Okay. So I'll do that. But I've also seen in my practice over the years, I have people who on paper, they look like an absolute train wreck. And then they're like, I feel good. I feel fine. Right. Cause it's one piece of the health puzzle. And then I've seen the opposite of that. So yeah. if you're looking for a certain nutrient, of course, things like vitamin D, right. Yeah. But there's also some markers that aren't always accurate. So B12, right. And we were talking about this a little bit. You have to actually test your methylmalonic acid levels. B12 itself is not always an indicator. Right. Iron, not a great indicator. You have to test your ferritin. So it depends. I don't always love all the functional tests either. There's a few that I do like. I like the Dutch complete test okay. that looks I've at. I've done that. Yeah. Oh, that's one of my ones that I always tell people, if you're going to spend money on functional testing, yeah. the Dutch complete is great. Uh, and then if you're having a lot of GI issues, I would say something like the GI map, but I that can that. be really pricey. Yeah, that can be pricey. And sometimes it's almost too, mu too much information. Too yeah. much information is not good for health anxiety and then confirmation bias always. So I don't yeah. always love that. But the Dutch test is great because it looks at uh, not only a bunch of your different hormones, but also your hormone metabolites and which way your liver is preferring to excrete mm -hmm. some of these, particularly for things like your estrogen and your testosterone. So it's looking at different pathways for that. So I, I, I really love that's one of my favorite. If you're going to splurge on yourself, get yourself yeah. a, a Dutch test. I think that's on my list because I have been doing Inside Tracker, which I'm sure you mm -hmm. know, like for probably like three or four years and they're they have been one of our partners but I really love getting my blood work done and being like super dialed but it doesn't look at you know when I see like high cortisol like my immediate mm -hmm. go-to is like ashwagandha although mm -hmm. you know you can't take like you said you can't take ashwagandha all year long you know it's mm -hmm. something that you cycle in and out but I've recently heard a lot about rhodiola and mm -hmm. Is it similar to ashwagandha in like terms of like stress or is it like a totally different? So when you're talking about stress, it's always really I'm important. Like, I'm like, so to... stressed out. No, it's, it's, most people are, I'm right? But stress, stress is subjective. What's yeah. stressful to you might yeah. not be stressful to me. When people talk about meditating, that yeah. stresses me out. I'm like, yeah, I, I want 0% part of that. For some people, it's changed their lives, right? right. So stress is subjective on some level. Yeah. The more important question to ask yourself when you're having the conversation of stress is what kind of stressor am I? What happens to me when I'm stressed? Because that right. will determine what adaptogen or what herb or what nutrients going to be best for you. So my example is when I'm stressed out, I get sick immediately. Like if I'm stressed out and I don't sleep on top of it, and if I had a drink of alcohol, guaranteed getting strep throat, like 100% right. okay. of the time, right? So yeah. for me, again, my chink in my armor is knowing that I have a more hypo immune response, right? Hypo, hyper, they talk a lot about that in Chinese medicine. So you might be the kind of stressor who you're like, no, I'm fine. My immune system is just locked up. But when I'm stressed out, I get really moody or I get brain fog or I get digestive issues, right? So figuring out what kind of person I am. So rhodiola, for example, is 
is really good for the kind of person who you are maybe, again, very cerebral, analytical. You're kind of go, go, go. Your stress tolerance is maybe not where it should be. So it can be very good for that if you're a stressed out person and you kind of notice some of those cognitive effects and then you're also physically feeling worn out, rhodiola can be really good for that, for that endurance kind of person. So I like that where, again, ashwagandha can be more, I, I call ashwagandha like your general starter adaptogen. Most people for a little bit can handle ashwagandha. And then again, depending on your temperament, again, back to Chinese medicine, they'll talk a lot about, or an Ayurveda, right? They'll talk yeah. about if you're pitta or your different Pasta, doshas, right? right? So a lot of very pitta type A, they run hot, they're considered hyper. These kinds of people, after a while, ashwagandha doesn't seem to work as much. Right. So that's where they need to maybe go to something that's going to be a bit more endurance supporting, which is again, mm-hmm. why I really like things like the Eleuthero can be nice. Not a true ginseng, because that can be stimulating and warming in nature. And if you're already revved up, we don't want to always rev people mm-hmm. up more, which is again, what ashwagandha can do. It can rev people up. For some people, it actually has the opposite effect Depending and will on. help them relax. Yeah. yeah. Some people take it before bed. The the name with Ania Somnifria actually means sleep inducer. So some people it does help to relax and go to sleep, but for some people it wires them up. So again, depending on what's going on. And to your point, understanding cortisol, that's why I love the Dutch test is because yes, it talks about cortisol, but it also talks about the amount of free cortisol that you have. And it looks at the different patterns of cortisol when I'm producing it, because you might actually be producing sufficient amounts, but you might be producing it at the wrong time. And your body's like, I don't need this at five o'clock at night, right? right? So your circadian rhythm might actually be off. So also looking again at that and the whole picture of things. Yeah. Okay. That answers my question. I'm Pitta. I am definitely heady. I don't yes. have like an immune system reaction, but I definitely get intense. Like you, I have intense energy. Like, I don't know. I've done a lot of like energy work. So like, if, even if you were doing this interview, you probably like felt my energy like last week coming at you. <laughs> I don't no, know. I'm That's the same way. I'm the totally. But and the meditation never works for me. So yeah. I was just curious, you know. And I have some rhodiola. One of the brands that I work with like sent me, and I haven't taken it. And I also do. I'm not diligent about mm-hmm. taking certain things. I do mm-hmm. the omegas and the vitamin Ds, but because my vitamin D is always low, and I'm always checking it. So as long as I take it, I'm good. But then again, I would start with something like a kava, actually. Yeah. I think that might be a better herb. Rhodiola maybe is not the best jumping off point, but again, yeah. the or even something like albizia, kava and albizia together is okay. a really great uh, emotional combination again, because albizia is known as the herb of happiness. So it can, oh, cool. if you're that kind of person, when you're, when you're stressed, you kind of get more anxious and distressed. Yeah. So love that. And then again, the kava can be a bit more getting you just back to, I joke and say that my cruise control is at 90 miles an hour. Right. right. So like, I don't need to be at a hundred because my general jumping off point is 90. Sometimes yep. I need to just be at a 50. So Kava is the kind of thing you can take during the day and again, not be totally knocked out and it can work on the nervous system long-term. So it's like organic, you might be a Kava person. Xanax, basically. <laughs> yes. Because for a while, the, I guess, social media community was calling Valerian nature's Valium. So I guess, yeah, you could call Kava could be synonymous to, to having those anthelytic properties. No, what's amazing, they actually have Kava bars in places like New York City and Brooklyn, uh, again, co- kava cocktails. Uh, kava is a very bitter herb. Back to bitter herbs. Awa yeah. actually means bitter, and that's one of the mechanisms through which it works. 
but because it's so bitter, it's not, doesn't taste amazing. So the tincture format for a lot of people, if you're not a compliance person, right, it's right. Not, it's not going to be your best. I would suggest getting it in something like a liquid veggie cap would probably be yeah. a better option for you to get it. So you're actually taking it at an, at a efficacious dose, but it doesn't taste amazing. But again, like I was saying, they actually have kava cocktails. And then again, it's a part of ceremonies and people have it at weddings. People use it to get off of things like, you know, alcohol and benzodiazepine. So it's got a really, really cool history. It's just like an amazing herb. I definitely need to dial into it because I've never tried it. I've been around it at different events, but also like, you know, I think a lot of my listeners are used to drinking things that are not delicious as athletes I think it's something that you know whether it's a green drink or a smoothie you know you try to make it delicious or ketones for example I don't know if I've ever tasted anything more awful than ketones (laughs) and they're pretty bad yeah yeah although there are some brands that are making them taste a little bit better I can't speak to any of the efficacy of the brands that taste disgusting short of the drink and this is so bad I the drink you have if you ever get a colonoscopy like there's a drink that you have to have like uh-huh. before you get it the night before and I would say the ketones are in that arena yes. of disgusting, disgusting tasting things <laughs> yes no but it made me think though to your point earlier about saying I'm very stressed out and whatever I I kind of always joke and I say how many times do you ever really hear people say man, I'm too relaxed right now. Like that's just really not a part of our conversation. And so when you're talking about herbs in general, a lot of people, when they're taking the, I call it the allopathic alternative approach, people will bash being like, oh, I don't take Tylenol or this and that, but then they'll take, you know, a nutrient for X, Y. So they're, they're still doing this transactional thing. So instead of saying necessarily, what does this herb, what is this herb for? What is this supplement for? What is this vitamin for? What we want to think about is more the conversation of what does this do in my body, right? And what kind of person am I? So what system is it working on? What are the mechanisms of action? Because to your point, you could talk to five different herbalists and they will all have a different conversation about what an herb does. And this is why I love herbalism because you should spend time with one or two herbs at any given time and just see how your body responds, see what your body is called to. It's a really big part of herbalism. And this is why you kind of have like a couple that are, you just kind of go back to. So you start with one or two, you see how it interacts with you. And again, you see, and then because there's, when you understand what is this doing in my body, ashwagandha is working on the stress response. Okay. But that might not be the herb for you, but what are the other mechanisms of action? It's lowering cortisol. It's working on the HPA axis. So then you can ask yourself, okay, if this doesn't really work for me anymore, or I didn't have the response that I wanted, what are other mechanisms of action that I can look towards that have an additional ingredient or an herb or a vitamin and mineral? So I'm really big on always understanding mechanism of action. How does something work in the body? What systems is it working on? Because it's very rare that it's only one thing that exists. Like you think that, you know, ashwagandha is the only thing that works on stress. No, it's really great. There's a lot of amazing research on it. There's a lot of great clinical trials on it, but there are certainly other adaptogens that do similar things in the body. Well, so I love that you are talking about what works for you and understanding your body as like a launching pad for bringing herbal treatments or alternative treatments like adaptogens or any of these products into your sort of arsenal of healing tools, right? So we're moving into 2024 
and now's the time where people are taking stock. So that's a, I love that you asked me like, and you said, you know, when you're stressed, like how does mm -hmm. your body respond or how does your mind respond? And I think like just understanding and, and again, back to a lot of my athlete listeners, like we know our bodies. Like when I go for a run, I know if it's gonna be a good run or a bad run, and I'm not gonna judge it, but I know like when I'm getting sick based on how I am on my run. Also, yep. just another like athlete analogy, it's like there's hundreds of sneaker brands out there and hundreds of sneaker styles out there. And just cause you wanna run in the Nike Alpha Fly 3, like doesn't mean that that shoe is gonna be a good fit for you. And like your best friend and professional athletes may be running in them, but like it just may not work for you. And I feel like when it comes to health and wellness, it's a similar thing. It's harder for people to understand, I think, because they don't realize that it's very similar. And then also there are clinical studies that are done on certain drugs or certain herbs, adaptogens that are out there and certain ones that don't get play. And it comes down to like money and who's manufacturing these things. So yes. even off my tangent, but do you have a recommendation for people that, you know, some exercises that they could do to understand their body better in terms of how they respond to like stress or how they respond to being sick or, you know, certain high level like things that people can start to dial into for the new year? Yes. First of all, I love that analogy. I'm an analogy queen. So that was absolutely <laughs> beautiful and brilliant. I heard it because, when you were saying it. No, it's it's so true because it it's rarely ever a one size fits all approach right. to anything in health. Because if it was that easy, it wouldn't be the industry that it is. And it wouldn't be this now wave of personalized medicine. Right. Everybody wants to work. You have a sleep coach, you have a brain coach, you have a running coach. There's all these specialties for a reason because we're all individual and we all have bio-specific needs and we have biochemical individuality. I am a big proponent of doing audits, anything related to your health. So this could be a thought audit, checking in on my thoughts that I'm saying to myself, a physical body audit, right? Where am I quite literally feeling something in my body? Or just doing something where you take, let's pick a couple of different buckets where people maybe are their they're most problematic. So we'll talk about stress, immunity, and maybe digestion. These are like three buckets I hear a right. lot about. People are always having stomach issues. They're always getting sick and they're always stressed out, right? So what I would do is make, and I would list out on a piece of paper and call it my health audit. Almost like when you have to do a check-in with your a company or a boss, you know, and you have your review, your 90-day yeah. review. You could, this is a great time at the end of the year to do a yearly health audit slash review. And you can actually go ahead and list out those different main buckets and say to yourself, okay, in immunity or in stress or, you know, in digestion to our stress conversation saying, okay, how do I even define stress? What does stress mean to me? What are my triggers? What actually stresses me out? What are my coping mechanisms? How am I actively participating in allowing things? That's a big part of the conversation too, is actually taking responsibility for things as well. People talk like for digestion, for example, you know, they'll spend all this money on probiotics, but their, you know, diet isn't where it needs to be. So you can't, again, you have to go back to the basic boring foundational stuff. I know that's not super sexy and people don't love to hear it. Things aren't going to work if you're, if you don't know what's wrong. Correct. A probiotic can only go so far if right. you're, you know, then going home and eating all the, you Hamburgers know, processed stuff. Yeah. yeah. All day. Right. 
So I think just listing out uh, a couple, and then you can go a little bit deeper and say, okay, so when we're talking about stress, what are some of my symptoms, quote, that I feel? When I'm stressed, I, for some people, they lose their appetite. For some people, they are ravenous. For some people, their face breaks out. For some people, they get really tired, right? So writing out what are my main problems, and then you can kind of do a little line and saying, okay, so my problem is when I'm stressed out, I uh, don't sleep. And then you could say, well, what am I doing to deal with that right now? And you've, if you have nothing there, if you don't have any application or anything to take away, then you can start there, right? So yeah. that list can go on and on and on of saying, okay, what is my main problem? What am I doing to actively fix that? And if I don't, and is that working or is it not on a scale of one to 10? So you might be like, I'm taking melatonin every night. And you might be like, yeah, but I'm taking melatonin every night and I'm still not sleeping. So on a scale of one to 10, that's like a three. So what else could I be doing? And then that can kind of start your sort of research rabbit hole. Working with a good practitioner, I think is important too. Even if you know the most stuff, I always tell people it's good to have accountability and it's good to have somebody gut check you and fact check you to be like, yeah, just because you read an article about something doesn't mean it's always good. Or just because it's good doesn't mean it's good for you. Or just because it's sold at a health food store doesn't mean it's healthy. So understanding all of that, which again, just takes work. So I think just doing a general health audit, creating a couple of main buckets in your life and ranking those. So maybe you have 10 things you want to work on. You're not going to fix 10 things at once, right? So maybe once a month you think about, okay, this month I'm really focusing on my immune system and breaking that down even more to daily stuff. So every day, what am I going to do? What's one positive thing I can do for my immune system? What's one new article I can read about immune health? What is a coping mechanism that's working for me or not working for me, right? And so just building on that daily and to your point earlier, building that collective health toolbox, if you will, of not waiting until your ship is sinking to have (laughs) a life vest. You want to have the tools before you're going down. So the more information you know, the information part is really important. And the admitting part, again, of being like, you have to be honest about, I have not been really stellar with being on top of this, or I haven't actually been that honest about what I'm doing, or I've really allowed a lot of these kind of like energy vampires, pro-inflammatory people to hang out for too long. And that's really stressing me out. And there's no adaptogen that's going to get those people out of my life. So honesty is a big part of the health audit as well. And then also show yourself some grace and compassion because change takes time and you can't hate yourself into a healthier version because that all starts with your thoughts and your mind. And psychoneuroimmunology is a whole thing that I feel really passionately about. It's a huge field of medicine that talks about mind body and Mm -hmm. there is truth to that. So being kind to yourself, watching the thoughts that you think, challenging the thoughts that you think as well. And again, just giving yourself some compassion, kindness and giving time, time. It didn't take you two weeks to dig yourself into the hole that you're in. It's going to probably take a little bit longer. I think that that's so important that you said that because, you know, there's a lot of like we do a lot of negative self-talk and I'm equally guilty of doing that. And it can be sometimes productive and oftentimes counterproductive. So I just did this whole thing on like celebrate your wins in 2023. Yeah. (laughs) But also like failures can be wins and learning your mistakes can be wins. I think it's so important because I think this is such a great exercise for people to do because I'm always thinking about business and athletics I wasn't necessarily Mm -hmm. like my hat wasn't in the ring in terms of thinking of like health and how to do Mm -hmm. an audit for your health I mean that's a really great point yeah 
And it's an ecosystem. They all affect anything. What I always tell people too is anything affects everything, which is a good and bad thing because sometimes people do feel overwhelmed. Or again, this time of the year, people get a lot of motivation and motivation doesn't last. As we know, it's a very limited resource. So once that motivation wears out, it's like, okay, then people start to get defeated. And then as soon as they get defeated, it's that sort of backsliding effect. So it's really about saying, well, if anything can affect everything, I'll just start anywhere. And anywhere that you start is going to help to gain positive momentum, whether you're focusing on, you know, the sports part of things or the recovery part of things. And maybe again, in all of those main buckets, there's 10 subtasks. If you pick one subtask from each, the positive compounding effect of those changes, those incremental changes over time do make a difference. So it's having that big, I call it your health averages. We focus a lot about that in school. You know, you have five grades, right? You get like three A's, two D's and an F the average is still going to be pretty good. So if you could just get out of your own way and have that mentality of what am I adding, but also subtracting, sometimes it's about doing less, not always adding another protocol and another supplement, right? Sometimes it's getting out of your own way. Mm -hmm. And again, thinking about what are my health averages when I'm doing my audit. And a great way to start that audit is say to yourself, okay, this is day one of my audit. If I had to give myself a grade right now, what would that be? Not to be mean to ourselves and not to be belittling and disparaging, but saying, all right, I'm at an 89, which is good because a lot of overachievers, they want to be the best at health and it's a moving target. So having reality with that as well is important. That's amazing. So are you also seeing patients and booking sessions with people in addition to, yeah. Yeah. I still work with clients, which is great because I think it's important for the clinical side of things. You can only learn so much from reading papers and research. And I love that. It's huge. It's literally, I wake up in the morning and I read PubMed articles. Like I love it and I live for it. But I've, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've read something and in theory, it sounded good. And then I had a real person and they had real life and they couldn't apply that. And I said, oh, we need to learn more about this. And I need to learn about this kind of person and these pathways. So for me, it's also just a really great way to kind of keep my practitioner, you know, tool sharp. And I also, I'm always learning things where I'm like, I don't actually know. I've never dealt with that before. Like, let's figure it out together. So it's a really great way. I think having clinical practice is really important for just the evolution of of science and wellness. And what are you, so people can find you in this conversation. Like I can put the information in the show notes. If anybody, do you obviously do things like remotely as well? Like people don't have to come into an office. Correct. I live mostly on uh, Instagram. So at Brianna Diorio is where you could get all the information. I'm dropping knowledge on there every day about things. And my podcast as well, the Brianna Approved Podcast. Uh, I would love to have you on as a guest. Would, would be amazing. To be Do a pod swap. So yeah. I was. Lo- you have so many amazing guests. I mean, I would tell me a little bit about your podcast, Brianna Approved, and when you started this because I feel like it, it really goes well with everything else that you do. But yeah, tell me a little bit about it and how you started and when and all the fun stuff. Yeah. Like anything amazing in life, it was totally not planned and an accident. So I had years prior, I think before podcasting was really popular, it was it was a bit more exciting to be like, oh, I'm on a podcast, right? So I was kind of doing the podcast circuit many moons ago, and I would have a lot of people say, when are you going to start a podcast? And right. I was like, I have nothing new to say. I was <laughs> like, I, you'll never catch me having a podcast, literally not in this lifetime. But so simultaneously, I had my private practice going on the whole time. And I would always have clients being like, uh, you know, is this Brianna approved? Is this Brianna? So it kind of just became like this inside cheeky joke with all my clients or, 
you know, I would post products and that was just sort of my thing, like Brianna approved. And so my brother and I one day were just messing around with doing stuff because he is my producer and does, you know, he does graphic design and art direction and all that. He's much more talented and creative than I am. And you have to put in a name, as you know, when you're creating a podcast. And I was like, I don't know, just put in Brianna approved. And then it kind of just stuck and it just took off from there. And, And it started as just individual solo episodes because as you know, I think teaching people is the best way to learn about something. I've always been like that. I mean, back when blogs were really popular, I started a blog in graduate school because for me, selfishly, it's how I learn. So I was like, well, I'm already doing the research. I should put it in a way that if I have to pull it for a paper later, I'll just go here and copy and paste it. So it's kind of just the evolution, I think, of technology and how we learn. And then I was like, okay, cool. This is a great way for me to learn. But let me, social media is meant to be social. Let me socially interact with some people who I want to pick their brains and they're the expert. And I, like you, very inquisitive and I love asking questions. And I think it's a great way to connect with people that you normally wouldn't. So like, you know, you're going to come on my podcast. I would have never have had that opportunity had we not had this conversation. So it's a really cool modern way of networking as well. Yeah. It started as a passion and just like side projects. It wasn't even, it was just like, I was working in marketing and PR and I had, you know, I'm an athlete and mm-hmm. I had met a lot of other founders and CEOs and executives that were athletes that were like super successful in their business. I just wanted to hear their story. It was community and it evolved from there. And then the pandemic happened and I was like, wow, I could talk to people around the world. Like, this is awesome. I love talking to yeah. people. Anyone who knows me. I think the community part is the really important aspect, that community piece. Because I think as you get older, so much of getting older is just becoming more of who you are and wanting to be heard and seen and accepted in a like-minded community of, oh my God, you're talking about whatever infrared rays and you're doing sauna. And, you know, I always joke, I call it like a a non-bachelorette bachelorette party. I always joke about having one day where I'm like, let's just hang out and do, you know, castor oil packs and (laughs) go in, you know, do acupuncture and gua sha. And I'm like, that would be my dream. But when you're in the community like this, to your point, you get to meet with other people and chat and be like, you think about that too. And that riles you up and that's exciting for you. And it just, it lights you up and that's, you don't always get that in health and wellness. There's a lot of deferred gratification. You know, you're helping an athlete yourself, you're training all this time. And then you maybe only have one race day and you're like, it's over now after all of that time and that prep. So it's kind of a cool way to just sort of keep that ecosystem going. And then what do you do to stay fit? Because I know that you have like your personal training and ASM certification. uh, And I'm sure there's something that you're doing. I am. uh, Talk about listening to your body. I I joke and I call it gym Jenga. It really depends on what I'm feeling that day of what I do for my body. So Uh, In the winter, even, I feel like I slow down a little bit. So I really love doing uh, reformer Pilates. I just absolutely love that for me. In the winter, I mean, in the summer when I'm feeling more active and maybe even social, I will do, you know, CrossFit or I really love doing kettlebell workouts. I'm a big fan of just movement in general. So uh, walking and biking, it's the winter now. I'm a huge, I love skiing. It's one of my, my passions. So yeah, I ski a lot in the winter. So it really just depends on kind of what my body needs. I I think younger in my life, I used exercise as a, I have to do this mm-hmm. or I need to do this. And that just creates kind of this, anything you have to feel like you have to do or need to do, just, I don't always love the intention of that. So before I work out, I say, okay, if I'm going to go to this like class, what is the intention of me going? I'm like, am I going because I feel bad or I feel like I have to, or because I feel like my body needs light, gentle movement. I also love things just like, reformer, I mean, just um, 
doing the trampoline. So things for like mm-hmm. your, you know, lymphatic system, dancing. I mean, just like literally anything, just motion is the lotion. So keep your body moving. And so you, are you like big into strength training too? Like as far as like, you know, deadlifts and squats and all that, are you doing that in the winter or? Yes. Deadlifts. I always say if I had to pick one exercise to do for yeah. the rest of my life, deadlifts are my, it's the first movement I did on a barbell where I was able to make incremental jumps in weight. Yeah. And I was like this, I'm, I'm pretty gangly. I'm five, seven. I joke, you know, I'm, I'm kind of tall. So squatting is, I just don't love it. Okay. But deadlifts, I was like, I can get into this. So yeah, deadlifts yeah. is uh, one of my favorites. So I, and in the winter, I do a lot of kettlebell workouts. I love kettlebell stuff. It's okay. one of my favorite ways to work out. And then are you, you mentioned skiing. So did you grow up skiing? Is yes. That- so grew up in uh, New Jersey. My birthday's right, in so February. We used to have off for President's Week. So we mm-hmm. would go skiing in Tremblant every year, uh, nice. which was amazing. I mean, freezing, but amazing. And then I lived in Colorado and California for a while. So that was West coast skiing is the best. And, you know, I'm back in New Jersey now, but there's still ways to go and do it. But it's just for an overthinker type A, maybe this will resonate with you when you're skiing, there's nothing else you could do except focus on being like, I can't die right now. I got to just take it turn by turn. I got to carve through this path. I got to just focus right now. And the silence of it, you know, you're not listening to music. You're not you know, we're, we're so in this instant gratification. I'm guilty of that too. So you're like, really talk about being where your feet are, be where your skis are. You have to really be present. And also the opera ski culture is fun. I tell people, I'm like, even if you don't ski, it's just fun to be around to our point, like-minded people, you know, you have a good time, hot tub at the end of the day, like everybody, you could be a hot mess. No one cares what you look like. You're, you know, for in your ski gear. So I just, I love the culture of it too. And the community of it. Yeah. My partner's really into skiing. I didn't really grow up skiing. So I grew up more like doing water sports and islands and tropical. But I'm from New York. So okay. like I loved skiing on the West Coast. Like it was a totally different sport. Going just anywhere on the Northeast. I've never had a fun time skiing. And when I went to Telluride, it was like, yeah. I could do this forever. Like It spoils <laughs> totally you skiing different. on the West Coast. East Coast, you're ice skating, basically. You are a professional ice skater. But if you could ski on the East Coast, I say this about East Coast people in general. Like, if you grow up on the East Coast, you can adapt anywhere. So if you can ski on the East Coast, you can ski anywhere, you I know? I love it. I love it. And what's new, like, just back to Nutrafol, because now we can go into, like, the deep rabbit hole of skiing. But that's another podcast. <laughs> I feel like you're going to be we'll a have recurring guest. We'll have to definitely sync up to go skiing. Yeah. Well, I feel like you're going to be a recurring guest on my podcast this year. Yes. But that's love- the vision I'm having right now. Like, whatever, spiritual, whatever. I'm feeling love that. It. I think you are just a wealth of knowledge and I love your Thank energy. You. So Thank this you. is Likewise. awesome. For Nutrafol, like what can we look forward to in 2024? Yeah, so we're always doing innovative things. Uh, right now we are working on some next generation formulations. We can't speak too much